Blog Talk Radio. All right, sports fans, how's everybody out there doing? William Martin coming at you one more time here on blogtalkradio.com with another edition of the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show. As always, I want to take this time out to thank all of you fine folks out there for tuning in this evening. And as always, our guest call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. And on this wonderful evening of January 14, 2018, I can gladly once again tell the world that Miss Runner's baby boy is back on the air. Now, I am back and in full effect this Sunday as I was not here uh, last Sunday night due to the fact that I was under the weather. Uh, leading into uh, the evening, I was a game-time decision, as you would say, but I thought otherwise I needed my rest. And I'm back to uh, my typical self. And with that said, you will hear that from me over the next hour. So I didn't get to talk about the wild card round last week, and it was rather interesting, but I will definitely talk about the divisional playoffs in the National Football League because I, like many people, simply don't believe what I just saw. And of course, I'm talking about the epic finish between the Minnesota Vikings and the New Orleans Saints. Now, the Vikings are seeking to become the first team in National Football League history to reach the Super Bowl in the same year that they are hosting it. And they found themselves today taking on the New Orleans Saints. Now, it did not take the Vikings that long to score as they scored on their first possession of the game. And their first score was a result of a 14-yard run from running back Jared McKinnon, Jarek McKinnon, excuse me, to give Minnesota the early seven to nothing advantage. It was ten to nothing early on in the second quarter when Minnesota was able to extend their lead on a one yard run from Latavius Murray to give them the seventeen to nothing advantage. New Orleans would not be able to get into this contest until late in the third quarter when they put together a 12-play, 80-yard drive to cap that ate up nearly seven minutes' worth of game clock, and it was capped off when quarterback Drew Brees connected with wide receiver Michael Thomas from 14 yards out to make the score 17-7. New Orleans would inch a little bit closer early on in the fourth when Brees connected with Thomas again, this time from three yards out, as this was a result of of a Case Keenum interception, and now it was 17 to 14. And with just over three minutes left in regulation, after the Saints had blocked a punt, they were able to get their first lead of the game, and it came when Drew Brees connected with running back Alvin Kamara on a 14-yard touchdown pass to give New Orleans the 21 to 20 edge. However, this New Orleans defense could not 
seal the deal as the Vikings got into uh, field goal range. And with just about a minute and a half left in the fourth, Kai Forbath connected on a 53-yard field goal to give Minnesota the 23-21 to advantage. That was plenty of time for Drew Brees to get the Saints into scoring range. And with just 25 seconds left in the contest, Will Lutz, connected on a 43-yard field goal to give the Saints the 24-23 to lead. And for all intents and purposes, it looked like that the Saints were going to be heading to the NFC Championship game. But with about 10 seconds left in the contest, Keenum stepped back, threw a pass down the sideline for Stephon Diggs, and for Saint, it looked like Saints uh, safety Marcus Williams was going to make the play he whiffed on the tackle completely. Stefan Diggs could not believe it. Everybody watching the game could not believe it. And Stefan Diggs would then scamper down the sideline for a 61-yard touchdown pass as time expired to give Minnesota the comeback 29-24 victory. And you look inside of the numbers for this contest. Drew Brees was 25-40 passing for 294 yards with three TDs and two interceptions, while Case Keenum was also 25 of 40 passing, but for 318 yards with a TD and a pick. New Orleans' running game was unable to get going as they were limited to just 80 yards on the ground, while the Vikings only had 95 of their own. And, of course, uh, with that big grab to end the game, Stephon Diggs had himself a contest as he had six grabs for a buck 37 with a TD, while Adam Thielen also had six catches for 74 yards. On the side for the Saints, Michael Thomas had seven grabs for 85 yards or two TDs, while Ted Ginn Jr. had eight receptions for 72 yards, and Alvin Kamara had four grabs for 62. You also uh, look inside of the team stats for this one, and third down was not kind today to New Orleans as they were just two of nine on third down when they possessed the ball, while Minnesota was 10 of 17 on third down. And that was a big difference in this contest. And I want to get to that right now because you go back uh, to uh, late in the, uh, in the first half where the Vikings scored their second touchdown of the game and the Saints had uh, Minnesota in a third and long situation, had an opportunity to get off of the field and force a Kyle Forbath uh, field goal attempt. But unfortunately they couldn't. Case Keener scrambled and he found his receiver down the field, which gave Minnesota the opportunity for the first down. And of course they extended the drive. And before you know it, it was 17 to nothing. It's little plays like that, that don't show up in the stat sheet that are the difference between winning and losing in the postseason. And we saw that again uh, this afternoon, but I want to go fast forward to, you know, the final three minutes of this game. You knew that if you gave Drew Brees the opportunity, if you kept it close, if you gave him the opportunity to win the game, he was going to put you in that situation for New Orleans, which he did. First with the touchdown drive with uh, Kamara late in the contest to give uh, New Orleans the lead. And then later on when he uh, got them in the field goal range for uh, Will Lutz. But honestly, this comes down to the Viking, I mean, to the Saints defense, because again, they had two opportunities to close this game out and get to the NFC championship game. And they could not do it. And when the Saints defense this season was on, it was good. 
But we haven't seen this. We we didn't see the Saints defense. I got to say for the past three or four weeks when they were tearing it up. Because if you go back to week 17, you know, this team lost on the road to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, they won last week at home versus the Carolina Panthers, but it was because of their offense and not because of their D. And then you go back to today, they only had two sacks on Case Keenum. They did not get enough pressure on him. And more importantly, their secondary folded when they needed him the most. There is no way, and I mean absolutely no way, that Stephon Diggs should score a touchdown on that play. If you're Marcus Williams, he, 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 went, for, he went for the hit instead of going for the tackle. And if he had tackled them, Stephon Diggs is not going to get out of bounds. The, the, the Vikings don't have any more timeouts. And there's no way that they're going to get Kai Forbath and their field goal team on the field in time to attempt a game-winning field goal. So, therefore, the game is over. But this is a microcosm of a big problem in football. And it's not just at the NFL level. Because tackling and playing defense are lost arts. We saw it in the national championship game last Monday between Georgia and Alabama where Georgia got beat on, on, on cover two deep when they should not have. And, you know, you look at situations like this one today with the New Orleans Saints. There's absolutely no way that you should get beat on that play right there. And it goes back to the old saying, the prevent defense prevents you from winning. And we saw that again. And getting to the playoffs is one thing. You know, losing the tough ones, you know, you, you really – I'm not sure if a lot of teams ever get over that. I want to see now how the New Orleans Saints can bounce back from this uh, heading into next season because it's a situation where you snatch the you snatch the feet out of the jaws of victory is basically what you did, and you don't get too many opportunities in the playoffs. So I mean, Drew Brees, of course, is not getting any younger. Uh, the, you know, the Saints had a great run game this year, but what they do, what they did to get them to the playoffs did not show up today, and it did not show up last week either because the Saints did not have a big day running football versus Carolina last week, and they didn't do it again today uh, versus uh, Minnesota. And, of course, like I said, their defense really let them down. But on the flip side for Minnesota, obviously this is a team that has definitely bought in to what head coach Mike Zimmer is selling. And then on top of that, they believe in Case Keenum because when Will Lutz kicked the go-ahead field goal for New Orleans with about 25 seconds left, there was nobody that panicked on that Viking sideline. As soon as that kick went through, you look at the cameras, you had you see Case Keenum going over things with his offensive coaches as far as how they are going to plan this attack when they get the football back. And credit to Mike Zimmer because he utilized his timeouts properly, even when New Orleans had the ball, when they, were, when they uh, set up Will Lutz for the go-ahead field goal, and even on that final drive to give them an opportunity to uh, – you know, win the contest. And, I mean, I did not pick uh, Minnesota in this game for the simple fact, two things. Number one, I gave the experience at quarterback to Drew Brees. And on top of that, you know, teams that host the Super Bowl have never gotten past the second round. And we saw something happen for the first time today that has never happened in NFL history as you have a team in the Minnesota Vikings that will be advancing to the conference championship round. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626 626- Two three one zero three zero nine. I repeat six two six two three one zero three zero nine. Now the other contest today had the Jacksonville Jaguars 
the champions of the AFC South traveling to the Steel City to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were the champions of the AFC North. Now, of course, these two teams did meet in the regular season at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh, and it was the Jags who got the 30-9 victory over Pittsburgh, and in that contest, they forced five interceptions from quarterback Ben Roethlisberger. And you knew that the Steelers would uh, come out more charged, more focused for this game. But Jacksonville came into this contest playing with house money, and you knew that something had to give. But to me, you uh, you look at the scoring, and I really think that Jacksonville won this contest in the first quarter, and I'll tell you why. They took the opening kickoff, and they marched down the field on an eight-play, 66-yard drive, which was culminated by a one-yard run from Leonard Fournette to give them the 7 to nothing advantage. They took advantage of a Steelers turnover later on in the first, and Leonard Fournette scored on an 18-yard run as Jacksonville was able to extend their lead to 14 to nothing. And then early on in the second quarter, the Jags put together an 11-play, 75-yard drive that was capped off by a four-yard run from T.J. Yeldon to give them the commanding 21 to nothing lead in Pittsburgh. The Steelers were finally able to respond uh, on their next drive when Big Ben Roethlisberger connected with wide receiver Antonio Brown on a 23-yard touchdown hookup to make it 21 to seven. But there was an opportunity for the Steelers to get back into this game late in the first half. And the momentum shifted when Telvin Smith, the Jags linebacker, returned a fumble 50 yards for the touchdown to make it 28-7. to Now, Pittsburgh would score again just before the first half ended when Roethlisberger connected with wide receiver Martavis Bryant on a 36-yard touchdown pass to make it 28-14. to Now, Pittsburgh would get the opening kickoff of the second half, and they would march down the field on a 10-play 77-yard drive, which was capped off when Roethlisberger connected with running back Le'Veon Bell on a 19-yard touchdown pass to make it 28-21. to And at this point, you expected the Jags to fold as the crowd was back into the contest at Heinz Field. However, this Jags defense stepped up, and every time that the Steelers had an opportunity to drive and tie this game, they were turned away. And early on in the fourth quarter, Jacksonville was able to uh, maintain a comfortable lead when Leonard Fournette scored on his third touchdown of the game to make it 35-21. to Now, Pittsburgh would come right back in in a hurry on a five-play, 75-yard drive that saw them go for it on fourth down. And on fourth down, Big Ben went deep to uh, Antonio Brown again, this time for 43 yards out to make it 35-28. to However, on the Jags' ensuing drive, They kept the Steelers in chase mode as they marched down the field on an eight-play, 75-yard drive, which is capped off when quarterback Blake Bortles connected with fullback Tommy Bahannon on a 14-yard touchdown pass to make it 42-28. Now, Pittsburgh would immediately come back with a 12-play, 75-yard drive that was capped off by an eight-yard run from Le'Veon Bell controversial because it looked like it was an illegal forward pass by Ben Roethlisberger. However, the play stood, and now it was 42-25. to Now, Pittsburgh would go for the onside kick in spite of the fact that they had two timeouts remaining. Jacksonville would recover. They would get into field goal range, and Josh Lambeau extended their lead with a 45-yard field goal. Now, with one second left, the Steelers 
scored the game's final touchdown when Ben Roethlisberger connected with rookie wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. However, with one second left, there was nothing that Steelers could do after that as Jacksonville went on the road today and secured the 45-42 to victory. Now you look inside of the numbers, and for Blake Bortles, he was 14 of 26 passing for 214 yards with a TD and no picks, while Ben Roethlisberger was 37 of 58 passing for 469 yards with five touchdowns and an interception while he was sacked twice. And, of course, since the Steelers fell behind early, the running game really was not a factor, but that was not the case for Jacksonville as they had 164 yards on the ground with 109 of those coming from Leonard Fournette on 25 carries and then, of course, three big touchdown runs. Now, Antonio Brown did have a big day against this Jaguar secondary as he had seven grabs for a buck 32 or two TDs, while Vance McDonald had 10 receptions for 112 yards. And Le'Veon Bell came out of the backfield for nine catches for 88 yards and a TD. But you look at this Jags defense, they stepped up and made the plays when they needed to, led by Telvin Smith, who had 16 tackles, 14 of those solo. And then, of course, he had the big fumble return for the touchdown. And I look at this contest like this. Pittsburgh, they came onto the field and they expected, you know what, Jacksonville beat us the first time around. They're not going to do it the second time. And you know what, let's just put our cleats on the field and we'll be ready to go. That was not the case this afternoon. Because going back to what I said earlier, the Jags won this game in the first quarter due to their ability to take the opening kickoff march right down the field and score a touchdown because you change the tenor of the game, you quiet the crowd at Heinz Field, and more importantly, Blake Bortles now has a lead. It's, he's a different quarterback when he's playing ahead as opposed to coming from behind. Then your defense goes out there, they force the turnover, now it's 14 to nothing. And then, you know, you get another, uh, you get another score and you're up 21 to nothing. So Blake Bortles did not have to sweat it out today. And offensively, this is how Jacksonville likes to play. Blake Bortles only attempted 26 passes today, while Jacksonville had 35 rushing attempts. And as long as you can keep Blake Bortles into that 20 to 25 pass attempt range, you have a very good shot of winning. Because that means that you are running the football effectively. And you go back to the Ryan Shazier injury on defense for the Steelers. And in their games after that, they gave up darn near 40 points to the Baltimore Ravens. You saw what happened to them today. I know that they had some backups in when they faced the Cleveland Browns, but still Cleveland almost was able to pull out a victory against them. And Ryan Shazier was the linchpin of that defense. They also let James Harrison go, and they were talking about he wasn't playing. But it's a situation they still let him go. And the Steelers did not have – that nastiness on the fence. And they haven't had it in a while. And, I mean, it's really surprising and alarming that you can watch the Pittsburgh Steelers play and they don't have that physicality on the fence. Right now, it's all about the offense for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then you look at it, once you, once you fall behind 21 to nothing – it changes what you can do in the contest because now your opponent knows that you that you have to pass the ball. I mean, don't get me wrong. Pittsburgh 
has the talent in their passing game. But it's a little bit different when you have the element of surprise every now and then. And every time that Pittsburgh expected Jacksonville to fold, they did not. Blake Bortles did not panic. And I think a reason why he didn't panic is because he all, like he never trailed in this contest. And that was the biggest thing. So that's why I go back and give Jacksonville credit uh, for that first quarter. And, I mean, you look at this Jags team, as long as they don't ask Blake Bortles to win the game. And I say that from the standpoint that, you know what, you're not asking him to throw it 40 or 45 times for contest. Uh, you know, your defense has an off day, X, Y, Z. Jacksonville has more than a puncher's chance to do some more damage in the playoffs because they've already done some damage. They knocked off Buffalo at home last week, and then, of course, today it was Pittsburgh. But I look at this Jags team and the way that they play defense. They can get after people, and I know, yeah, they gave up 42 points today, and, yeah, they only sacked Big Ben twice, but they made the key plays when they needed to. And their turnovers, both of them, led to touchdowns. That's the biggest thing, and that right there is the difference in this contest. Uh, if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, I mean, our Big Ben has already talked about coming back uh, for next season, but it's a situation. They got to get their act together on defense because you have all of the talent there on offense, but until you figure out how to stop people defensively, it really doesn't matter. Because It really doesn't matter because, honestly, there's no reason why a team – with Blake Bortles as a quarterback, should be able to score 45 points. And that's what the Pittsburgh Steelers have to go into their offseason and figure out right now. And I don't think anybody would have thought that this time last year you'd have been talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers being eliminated and saying that they have to find a way to figure out the Jacksonville Jaguars because now Jacksonville went to your place twice this year and defeated you. So it's back to the drawing board for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they got to figure out what to do heading into the 28-18 NFL season. So folks, once again, that call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, last night in Foxborough, you had – the 9-7 and seven Tennessee Titans traveling to take on the New England Patriots, who are the top seed in the AFC, as the Titans look to pull off the upset. And the Titans quieted the crowd in Foxborough late in the first quarter when quarterback Marcus Mariota connected with rookie wide receiver Corey Davis on a 15-yard touchdown pass to give Tennessee the 7 to nothing advantage, and this capped off an 11-play, 95-yard drive. Now, of course, the Patriots would immediately respond, and early on in the second quarter, quarterback Tom Brady connected with running back James White on a five-yard touchdown pass to knock the score at seven apiece. And later on in the, in the second quarter, after a quick three and out, New England would get the football back and put together a quick drive, which resulted in another score by White, this time a six-yard touchdown run to make it 14-7. to and any chance that Tennessee had of winning this contest went out the window late in the second quarter. They had New England backed up deep in their own territory on a fourth and five, and it looked like New England was called for a false fall, start on the punt. However, the officials got together, and they called the Titans for offsides, and because of that, 
it gave New England a first down. The Patriots uh, would take that momentum and march down the field on a 16-play, 91-yard drive that was capped off when Brady connected with wide receiver Chris Hogan from four yards out to make it 21-7. to Now, late in the third quarter, New England was able to put this contest away for good when Brandon Bolden scored on a two-yard run to make it 28-7, to and the Patriots would go on a roll over the Titans by the score of 35-14. to And New England has basically beat Tennessee in all phases of the contest. New England had 31 first downs to just 15 of the Titans, while the Patriots were able to rack up 438 yards to 267 for Tennessee. The Patriots were also extremely efficient on third down as they were 11 of 17. And you look inside of the individual numbers. Marcus Mariota was 22 of 37 passing for 254 yards or two TDs and no picks while he was sacked eight times, Pat's defense. Tom Brady was 35 of 53 passing for 337 yards or three TDs and no picks. And more importantly, he was not sacked. The Titans' rushing attack was limited to just 65 yards, which included Derrick Henry only having 12 carries for 28 yards. Danny Amendola had himself a game versus his Titans defense as he had 11 catches for 112 yards, while Rob Gronkowski had six catches for 81 yards and a TD. And then Deion Lewis, coming out of the backfield, had nine catches for 79 yards. And I talked about this Patriots defense as it was, you know, the old meet me at the quarterback uh, thing as they just had eight sacks of Mariota. Two came from Dietrich Wise. Uh, another two came from Gino Grissom. Uh, you also had the Flowers uh, connection getting in with a sack apiece. Ricky Jean- John Francois uh, got into the mix as well. And I look at New England, and I mean, they had a lot of controversy coming into this con- uh, contest. You know, you heard the stories uh, about you know head coach Bill Belichick not not wanting to trade Jimmy Garoppolo, Robert Kraft wanting it to happen. Uh, also, you know, Tom Brady you know, still wanted to be the starter. It's, it's a lot. Typically, you don't you don't hear about this stuff from the Patriots, but, you know, regardless if it's true or not, they have been one of the better organizations in professional sports in recent years in regards to channeling out the white noise and, you know, getting down to business. And what I saw from the Patriots last night was a very crisp performance in every aspect. This team knows the importance of winning in January. And we saw it again because now this is the seventh consecutive year in which the Patriots have reached the AFC championship game. And in each of those years, they had at least a first round bye. So that gives you an idea of, you know, how good that this franchise has been. And you look at Tom Brady, Tom Brady was dialed in last night. And of course, when Tom Brady is dialed in, everybody else around him on offense has to step up. I think it was a great game plan for uh, this Patriots defense because they took away what Tennessee does best, and that's running the football. And I said coming into this game, Marcus Mariota was going to have to make some plays from the pocket. He he did not make enough last night. And, you know, going into 2018, that is something that he is going to have to improve on because this season in watching Mariota, I still feel that he is a quarterback who struggles to consistently make plays within the pocket. And until he figures that out, this Tennessee team is not going to be able to take the next step. They'll be good enough 
to contend for the top spot in the AFC South. They will be good enough to contend for a wild card spot in the AFC. But once it comes down to having to face the big boys of the conference, they still do not have what it takes to match up with them. So that is some, definitely something that the Titans are going to have to work on in the offseason while it is another trip to the AFC Championship game for the Patriots. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. And finally, you had the defending NFC champions in the Atlanta Falcons traveling to the city of brotherly love to take on the Philadelphia Eagles. Now Atlanta was up three, nothing going into the second quarter after a Matt Bryant 33 yard field goal. When the Eagles scored the game's first touchdown early on in the second, when LeGarrette Blunt plunged in from one yard out to give them the six to three advantage as the extra point was no good. And this capped off a 14 play 86 yard drive that ate up nearly seven minutes worth of game clock. Now, Later on in the second quarter, the Falcons would regain the lead when quarterback Matt Ryan connected with running back Devonta Freeman on a six-yard touchdown pass to give the Birds the 10-6 advantage. However, Atlanta had an opportunity to really seize momentum late in the first half, and they scoffed at it. Uh, Eagles quarterback Nick Foles appeared to throw an interception. It went through the hands and off of the knee of a Falcons defender, and it ended up in the hands of an Eagles receiver, which led to a Jake Elliott 53-yard field goal as time expired to make the score 10-9. to Now, the defenses dominated this contest in the second half, and it was only a pair of Jake Elliott field goals that were the scoring as Philadelphia was, nur- was nursing a 15-10 to lead late in this contest, and Atlanta had an opportunity to win this game late, on a goal-to-goal situation from inside the five-yard line, you know, they made the mistake that all of these teams do. You get down there, you want to start throwing the football around. In the tight windows, generally it does not work. And then on the game's final play, it was a rollout play, which, you know, again, typically doesn't work. And, you know, Julio Jones was the main guy. Julio Jones slipped on the play. Of course, the pass was incomplete. And Philadelphia would hold on to get – the 15-10 to 10 victory. And it was all about the Eagles' defense in this contest as they limited the Falcons' offense to just 281 yards of total offense. You look inside of the numbers for this contest, Matt Ryan was 22 of 36 passing for 210 yards with a TD and no picks while he was sacked three times, while Nick Foles was 23 of 30 passing for 246 yards with no TDs and no picks for the Eagles. Tevin Coleman had 10 catch, uh, receptions, or carries rather, for 79 yards, while Devonta Freeman had 10 carries for just 7 yards. Julio Jones had a big af- afternoon and evening as he had 9 catches for 101 yards with no touchdowns, but the only thing that people are going to talk about is the play that he did not make. And I'll, I'll tell you about the Eagles. You know, they played the underdog role very well. They were the top team in the NFC all season long. And a lot of people, myself included, expected them to lose this game. And, again, you know, I went with the experience at quarterback. 
And I look at I, I, I look at Matt Ryan and I see a guy yes, he was the MVP last year. Matt Ryan to me still is not that guy because he's had so many critical moments in the postseason where he is not where he has come up short. And you know, you go back to Super Bowl fifty one last February and you go back to last night. And it's one of those things with the Atlanta Falcons. Once again, they outsmarted themselves. Atlanta would have won the Super Bowl had they just run the football with a 28-3 lead, and they chose not to. They kept trying to air it out and air it out and air it out so Matt Ryan could beat his game's MVP. Last night, you stick to the running game, and there's no reason why Devonta Freeman should not have only had 10 carries in this contest. Yes, I know that he only had seven yards, but you have to get him going. And if Tevin Coleman had 79 yards on 10 carries, that means you have to keep feeding him. There was a terrible imbalance on offense for the Falcons last night, only 20 rushes to 36 passes. And, you know, as good as Matt Ryan can be at times, he needs balance. He's better when you are running the football. And every time that the Falcons typically get away from that, it comes back and bites them in the rear end, which is once again the case last night. Now, with Philly, they did not ask Nick Foles to go out there and win the contest. They simply asked him to not lose it. And that's what he did because this defense came to play. And with the Eagles' pass rush, as long as you drop back against them, as many times as the Falcons did last night, they're going to pin their ears back and they're going to come after you. And that's what they did last night. Matt Ryan was sacked three times, but it seemed like a lot more. And because of that, Philly is heading to the NFC Championship game for the first time since 2008. So you look ahead to next Sunday, and the matchups are set for Championship Sunday in the National Football League. And it's going to start off on the AFC side as you're going to have the Jaguars traveling to take on the New England Patriots. And these two teams do have some playoff history as the home team has won all three contests with the most recent uh, meeting in the postseason coming back in 2007. Pardon me. Um, they've met four times, and the home team is, has uh, won all three times. Uh, New England beat Jacksonville in the 1996 AFC Championship game. Jacksonville beat New England in the 99 wildcard game. Then the Patriots beat Jacksonville in the 2005 wildcard game. And then finally, in the 2007 divisional round, New England got the best of Jacksonville once again. And I'm not going to sit up there and say that Jacksonville does not have a shot because they do have a legitimate shot in this game. I think what has to happen, again, they've got to play with a lead because they got to they got to play with a lead, and then on top of that, they have to you know this is a defense that knows how to get after people. They have to limit the Patriots scoring opportunities, and when New England gets down there, you know you, you got to keep them to three to three point attempts as opposed to touchdowns, because I'm not sure it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a different animal that the Jaguars are facing next Sunday because you know how Bill Belichick. Uh, likes to do things, and it's a situation. He's going to try to take away Leonard Fournette, and just like he did last night against Marcus Mariota, he's going to try to go out there and make Blake Bortles beat him. And if you get into a situation where Blake Bortles has to beat you, things change. 
I do think that Jacksonville does have the ability to keep this game close uh, for the most part. They have to play discipline on defense. And let's not forget, I mean, New England has a lot of playmakers on offense, just like Pittsburgh did. And Pittsburgh scored 42 points against this Jaguars uh, defense today. So as good as Jacksonville is, they got to find a way to go out there and get to Tom Brady, who is definitely a quarterback who knows how to get rid of the football very, very quickly. Now, on the NFC side, you're going to have the Vikings going against the Eagles as Minnesota is looking to do the impossible which is to reach the postseason or reach the Super Bowl, which will be played at their home park. Uh, the way that both of these teams play defense, it's going to come down to, the, to more than likely the first team that scores 20, who's going to win this game. And who, which defense can force the opposing team's quarterback into the mistakes? That's going to be the biggest thing because the Vikings defense can put the clamps on Nick Foles. And the same thing can be said about this Eagles defense on Case Keenum. And, you know, it's hard to believe, but we're sitting up here, you know, with Conference Championship Sunday next week, and the four quarterbacks that we're talking about are Tom Brady, which you expect to be there, Blake Bortles, Case Keenum, and Nick Foles. So things are definitely changing in the world of the National Football League, but that is where we're at heading into Conference Championship Sunday. I think we are going to have two good contests with a pair of bursts and the Super Bowl on the line. And we'll just have to wait and see to, to see who's going to take home the coveted George Hallis Trophy in the NFC and then the Lamar Hunt Memorial Trophy in the AFC. So, folks, that is going to wrap it up for tonight's show. And as always, I want to take this time out to thank you for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show here on blogtalkradio.com. Well, I'll do the show next Sunday night just due to the fact that the conference championship games will end late, but I will be on the air next Monday night at either 8 o'clock or 8.30. I'll definitely uh, let you know. Now, you can continue to check me out on 300poundsofsportsknowledge.com. I put up a piece today on there about the head coaches who will be on the hot seat heading into the 2018 NFL season. So definitely feel free to check it out. Now, if you are on Twitter, please feel free to follow me at 300 Pounds of Sports. And like I always say, if you follow me, it will be my pleasure to follow you right back. Also, there is a sports discussion group on Facebook at the Sports Depot 365. Please feel free to drop a line, become a member, and be a part of one of the hottest sports debate topics and groups going on the web and social media. And as always, much love to 150 pounds, excuse me, 150 pounds of sports knowledge. And like I always say, without her, none of this good stuff that you are hearing is possible. And as always, much love to my wonderful daughter, Penelope. And it's a pleasure to see you grow and grow on a daily basis. And like I always tell you, you are going to do some very good things in this wonderful world of ours. So once again, fine folks, my name is William Martin. Take care, have a wonderful night, and thanks once again for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show here on blogtalkradio.com. Talk Radio.